I want to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land in which this podcast is recorded, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, whose sovereignty was never ceded and this area's original name was Nam. We pay respect to them and their elders past, present and emerging. This episode discusses sexual assault, rape and violence. Please proceed with caution. You're listening to We Want to Be Better. It's a little mini-series, babe. I love you lovely little suckers that tune into this podcast to hear how dysfunctional Bianca and I really are or at least were, but I'm going to be really honest with you because that's how we are on this podcast. This topic, well, it's a really hard one for me and I'm not willing to open up that much about it. So please forgive me for skipping over some major life events here so I don't have to cry to my psychologist again tomorrow. Essentially, in my crucial adolescent years, I went through some pretty messed up stuff and I got spat out on the other end, not really knowing how to interact with men. I really just didn't know how to be normal around them. I was overly frightened of them all and I couldn't for the life of me understand why any non-man could be friends with one. I was pretty fucked up. Actually, I was traumatised. But one thing I did know was how to get one into bed. And because of all my fucked upness, I froze over all feelings for men and took joy in fucking them all over. Quite literally. I know there were many men that thought it was great to have a slutty young woman that didn't really have feelings. But there were also many men that were the collateral in those years. At the time though, all I wanted was to take back control. Men love sex. So naturally, my mind believed that if I had control over the one thing they wanted, I would be gaining back control that I frequently had taken from me in those adolescent years. And I would count it as extra points scored if that man had something more to offer, money or meals or connections that I could exploit. I was really messed up. I was broken, actually. As Pussy Riot would say, I was fucking the pain away. But the catch was I would only have sex with these men if I was drunk because I didn't want to be around them at all. I certainly didn't want to have sex with them. I just thought I'd feel heaps better if I did, but I knew I needed the push from alcohol to do it. Coincidentally, it was in this period that I figured out I was bisexual. Actually, I thought I was lesbian because I hated men so much, but after a bit of therapy, yada, 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 yeah, anyway, I'm bi. While not wanting to go near men, but drinking and spite-fucking them, All I wanted to do was be near women. And because of the internalised homophobia I placed on myself after spending years in a rural town, who made out that homophobia was either a sin or that women only had sex with each other to perform for men? Well, I couldn't have sex with women without being inebriated either. So weirdly, I was drinking to have sex with people I didn't want to and I was drinking to have sex with people I did want to. Cool, Annie. Yes, yeah, super healthy, babe. Great work. When I look back, alcohol played a pretty big part in my sex life. My first kiss, drunk. My first gobby, drunk. The first time I had sex, meh, I was a bit drunk. The first time I had sex with a woman, I was drunk. 
The first time I had sex with my husband, I was drunk. The only time I have done anal sex, I was drunk. All the times I filmed myself having sex, drunk. All of the threesomes I've ever had, I was drunk. Most of the time sex was too rough for me, drunk. The majority of the times I should have been using protection but I didn't, drunk. And the one time I was raped, drunk. Weirdly, I was also drunk when I conceived my hardest child, so I think there has to be a connection there. (laughs) Alcohol isn't to blame for my dysfunction. It isn't to blame for my trauma and it isn't to blame for my bad decision making. But it sure as hell was a fucked up sidekick that egged it all on and made it all a heck of a lot worse. For many years, I felt so powerless to sex. I wanted to have power over the pain I had experienced from trauma. Homophobia had power over me. I thought controlling sex meant I would be powerful. But the catch was, I would have to surrender my power by drinking alcohol to be able to go anywhere near sex anyway. I was so powerless. pinpoint why I fell in love with alcohol. I know a lot of people start drinking because it's a confidence thing. They're ordinarily shy and introverted and alcohol gives them the liquid courage to be outgoing. But I'm not sure if that was the case for me. I certainly didn't have confidence issues. I was never shy, ever. In fact, I came out of the womb demanding attention. When I was born, I was such a chatterbox, I wouldn't stop crying for two days straight and my mum got so fed up, she told the nurse to wrap me up in a blanket and shove me down the laundry chute. Poor mum. She wasn't to know that my incessant crying was simply a sign of what was to come. For the rest of my life, I'd be an attention-seeking chatterbox. And hello, I have a podcast now, so point proven. I grew up on the stage. I was always performing. I was a little show-off, to be honest. I had no problem picking up a microphone in front of hundreds of people. In fact, the only hard part of getting on stage for me was having to get off the stage. There's videos of me as a three-year-old being dragged off stage because I didn't want to stop showing off. Yeah, it definitely wasn't for confidence that I fell in love with alcohol. Looking back, while I was outgoing and confident in almost every aspect of my life, there was one thing I struggled with. Boys. I was incredibly shy when it came to boys. I'd always get really embarrassed and I'd clam up just talking to guys. And it was hard because boys liked me and would give me attention, but as a young teenage girl, I didn't know how to behave or respond. It was new territory for me. And it seemed I had really fallen behind because everyone around me was way ahead when it came to sex. I was so clueless, I didn't even know teenagers could have sex. I really thought it was something only adults did. I remember my friend telling me she gave a guy a blowjob and I didn't know what that was. You can only imagine my horror when I found out what a blowjob is. I didn't know that you put it in your mouth. I still struggle to come to terms with that one, actually. Everyone else was having sex, except me. And instead of being okay with it, instead of just accepting it, I was terrified. I was so scared I'd be labelled frigid. 
When I was 14, I had my first boyfriend and this was a really big deal for me because I hadn't even been kissed yet. This was a huge step in my world. However, for him, it wasn't good enough. He soon figured out I wasn't going to put out, so he dumped me and he told everyone it was because I was frigid and I couldn't dare live with that label, so I had to find a way to just loosen up and be more free and ah, that's where alcohol came in. Alcohol gave me the ability to be free around boys. It allowed me to get up to speed with everyone else and I was finally able to kiss guys and have sex. Alcohol became my crutch because... I felt immense pressure to be as sexually active as everyone else. I became sexually promiscuous. I'd sleep around. I'd hook up with random guys. I was able to do what everyone else was doing, all because of alcohol. For me, I needed booze. It was the key ingredient to a good sex life. Let's talk about you. Well, not you and me. <laughs> that would be a plot twist. <laughs> that would be an M. Night Shyamalan plot twist. We're going to talk about sex in this episode, but we're going to pause it because oh, Liam's on the project. <laughs> um. We just had to do a quick little break there because Liam was on the project tonight and Annie, how do you think he went on the show? He looked really good looking. Oh yeah, that's what I that's why I brought it up because I thought that's all you said. And I thought, good thing we're talking about sex tonight, because it looks like Liam may be getting some. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> no. Yes. Uh, so we're talking about sex today and sex and alcohol for me personally. I don't know if you feel the same, but I needed alcohol, I think, to have sex. That was my sort of thing. I didn't. No, 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 I don't think I did ever really need alcohol. There were situations probably where I felt I did. Yeah. Like individual moments, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I certainly didn't need it all the time. However, it definitely made me do things that I would not have done. Things as in people. People, <laughs> definitely, definitely. Lots of people yeah. I would not have done. I think that's the thing that confused me with sex because I did use it sort of as a crutch in that I needed it to be loose and free and then I guess I would sleep around when I was drunk. But the thing is, it didn't really matter how many people I slept with because I slept with a lot of people. But it was then when I was sober that I would find that I still would be that 14-year-old frigid girl that was shy and never really learnt how to enjoy sex because I'd always used alcohol in order to have sex. Yeah. I can see how that happened for you because that seems to be a reoccurring theme, doesn't it? Where For me? Yeah. Where you're <laughs> relearning how to do a lot of things that you only knew how to do with alcohol. You had some issues before and then you used alcohol to get through those issues and now you're sober you're like hold on I never really addressed those issues but I didn't even think alcohol had that big of an effect on my sex life and it wasn't until I was sober that I thought oh well I have to do this now there's no falling back on the red wine to get me through it there's no losing my inhibitions enough to have sex so I kind of had to learn how to do it all over again and um, Palmer enjoyed those lessons I'll say. Yeah. (laughs) That was a fun learning curve for him. The thing is with sex though and the whole inhibitions thing which I wanted to talk about is because we as a society seem to think that inhibitions 
are bad. We seem to think that being shy is bad. We seem to think that being frigid is a bad thing, but not necessarily the case because I would definitely put myself in very risky and dangerous situations when I was drinking because my inhibitions were lowered. They they weren't there and I would definitely, as you said, sleep with people I didn't want to. But also would put myself in fucking dangerous situations. Oh, yeah. I put myself in so many dangerous situations. And, of course, it's it's not to victim blame or anything no. like that. We should live in a society that is lovely to each other mm-hmm. or whatever. But it's just not the case. Yeah. And I definitely did many things when I was drunk that put me in a dangerous situation. The thing is with inhibitions and shyness though is those emotions that we're trying to suppress with alcohol maybe they're actually emotions that we're meant to feel for a reason exactly liken it to drink driving most sober people they would never dream of getting in a car while drunk and driving like they know they're not going to do that but then when they're drunk they lose their inhibitions and they don't realize they're that drunk and they think it's a good idea and the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention states that in the United States, someone is killed by a drunk driver every 51 minutes. So while we know that most sober people say, yeah, no, I would never drink drive, we lose our inhibitions and then we do something foolish like drink yeah. drive. And for me, it would be probably be things like having sex without protection. Oh, big time. Fucking hell. I do not want another one of those little rugrats that I've got they're Mm. they're hard work and then the amount of times that I would have alcohol and then be like oh we don't have a condom don't worry about it it'll be fine Mm, big time oh my god why why I think 60% of STDs are transmitted when alcohol is involved and you're seven times more likely to have unprotected sex when you're drunk so those statistics alone are pretty bad yeah. Yeah. And I definitely, like, not even the sex part, because I would definitely wake up, you know, the night after and I would be in someone's bed and I didn't know them or I'd have no memory. I mean, uh, I used to be like, okay, well, my vagina doesn't feel different today. So I guess I didn't have sex last night. Like, that was how I gauged it because I have no memory. And you like to think that people aren't going to take advantage of you in that situation. But now that I am sober, I do see a shift in the way that men behave to me when they find out that I am sober. Yeah. If a guy's at a bar and and I definitely am guilty of using, I used to do this where I would, you know, flirt with a guy because I didn't, I wanted him to give me drinks or drugs, right? I would definitely do that. And that's risky because when people drink, they, they can't read social cues. So if I'm leading a guy on because I want him to pay for my drinks or he might take that the wrong way. Like that that's dangerous alone. Again, not victim blaming, but that is dangerous. But now I see the shift in a man when he's schmoozing all the girls at the bar and he talks to me and he'll offer to buy me a drink because he's flashing around his cash and then I say, Oh no, I don't drink. You've you've the, taken his power away. Exactly. And his attitude towards me shifts mm. because he knows that I'm not gonna be in a vulnerable position. And also, you know, I think about even drink spiking if you say I'm not drinking well then also you're taking the power away from that person because you're in control you'll Mm. know if something if something was put in your drink you would know I think yeah I don't know I definitely have had I've definitely experienced I've been sexually assaulted while I've been drunk definitely I'm sure that this is so it happens to so many people 
Uh, and I've definitely gotten myself out of situations in which I could have been raped. I could have been murdered. I've de- like, I absolutely can think off the top of my head of several times in which I've barely escaped from very dangerous situations. And I'm not victim blaming, but I started to lose trust in my ability to look after myself because obviously I couldn't when I was out. I would put myself in very dangerous situations. And when I talk about the, I've talked about the shame that you experience, that anxiety and those bad feelings. When you wake up and you don't know where you are, or you have a vague recollection of something that might have happened last night or when you recall being assaulted, that shame hits you so hard the next day. And it's not victim blaming whatsoever. And that's really difficult. But I really did not have a safe relationship with myself and alcohol. And I would really get very, very scared of the things I would let myself do. Bianca, I don't think, I think this topic this week is going to be one that so, so many people, Mm. no matter their gender, are going to relate to the feeling of waking up and being frightened by their decisions. Like the, the thing is, is that sex in society already is shrouded in shame. We have so many issues to do with sex as it is. But then you add alcohol in it, which also adds shame. When we wake up after we've been drinking, we often feel shame. And then you smash them together. It is just shame upon shame upon shame. And it's really hard to deal with. Exactly. It is really hard to deal with. I think it's it's frustrating in society as well that particularly around issues of sexual assault, that alcohol often excuses the perpetrator and blames the victim. Yeah. Right? So the, the victim is to blame because, oh, you were drunk and you put yourself in this bad situation. But then the guy, it's like, well, he's normally a good he bloke. He couldn't read he, the signs. Exactly. He couldn't. Yeah. And we have the conversation always. We have the conversation constantly about the rise of sexual assault, of domestic violence, or just I don't know that alcohol is really getting the finger pointed at it enough in these situations. It's I think that we can all agree that it's not necessarily the causation, but it's certainly the fuel to the fire, isn't it? Yeah. As soon as alcohol is added into it, it's just like you were saying maybe about the drink driving. Everyone would say, I would never drink and drive. Yeah. And then there are people that will get in the car drunk. Yeah. So maybe those people would say, I'd never, I'd never rape somebody, but then they will drink and they rape somebody. And I'm not saying to excuse them at all, but maybe, maybe we just need to pull back that fuel mm. that's, you know, adding to the fire that's then burning so many and hurting so many. And it's this cycle that continues and continues because as soon as people have had experiences of sexual assault or like me personally, I've had assault by men and I went through a period where I couldn't have sex without alcohol because I couldn't really go near men and socialise with men. Like you were saying, I I had to have my inhibitions shifted a bit to be able to have those interactions and so I would drink and then what would happen is then I would do something else. I put myself in a situation that I didn't enjoy it's just a cycle that never fucking ends. I just don't understand how a society, as a society we insist that alcohol is so important. We need it to have fun. We need, we need it to do all this stuff. But it's constantly present 
when we talk about these big issues and violence. It's constantly there. I just don't know why we're not addressing that fact and treating it for what it is. Okay, that's all really incredibly depressing. It is depressing. And I feel like we're just really picking at some wounds here that Mm. we've been trying to heal. So let's just put that aside. Let's talk about how much better sex is sober. Oh, miles away from anything I've ever... I always thought that I was really bad at sex and I would rely on getting drunk to do it. But what I've learned is sex drunk is just bad. I, I, I call the word sloppy. Sloppy. That's Don't you really, think it's yeah. just sloppy? It's just like you can sort of flop your limbs around <laughs> and you sort of get on and you're like, and it's a bit of an effort. And also think? though, you can't orgasm. It's just numb. It's Yeah, you're numb. Like your but vagina you know, is numb. The other thing is, you know how they often say for vagina owners, their main sexual organ is often their brain, mm-hmm. right? Well, when you're drunk, your brain's just not working. I just go off with my thoughts when I'm drunk. I'll be in the middle of sex and I'm like, I am down Mm. some road thinking about something that is not happening. Not that I don't want to be engaged and I just can't keep a straight train of thought. (laughs) Look, I'm not going to say that I didn't have fun times while drunk. I certainly did. I had plenty of fun times. Mm. But... It is just ultimately for me, as a married monogamous woman, it's just easier to come. And ultimately, (laughs) I have sex for, yes, intimacy and pleasure. Yeah. I'm like at the point where I'm... I am exhausted and stuff in my life. I, if I'm not getting an orgasm out of sex, what I just can't fuck be fucking bothered. <laughs> yeah. I want to have a nap. That's it. And because you can't, like, that's it. So for, for sex, men find it hard to get hard and find it hard to orgasm. And that's another thing that annoys me about having sex with drunk guys. They never fucking come, so it never fucking ends. I'm not sitting there with a numb vagina getting literally nothing from this (laughs) and you are never stopping. pretending. (laughs) What is is happening here? I remember on the Jersey Shore, Snooki was saying it was good because the guy she brought home was drunk so it would just last forever. And I was like, Snooki, stop saying this on air. No one wants that. The other thing is, is that you... Vagina just is dry. We, oh, we yeah. Everyone talks about, oh, you know, you drink and you get dehydrated. That's why you have a hangover. Oh, your brain's dehydrated. Hello. Vagina's Your vagina <laughs> is like, whoa, man. What are you doing? Why did you drink all this alcohol? Now, yeah. now you're trying to shove a flaccid <laughs> penis in. Yeah. Okay. Look, we have Naomi, Australian sexologist, coming up. We've done an interview with her and she's going to talk. We're going to talk about some of the things we've just talked about. She's really great and we love her. And be safe to everyone that's listening. If it's not on, it's not on? Yeah, if it's not on, it's not on. Yeah, put the condom on. Put the condom on and pack some lube. Yep. We interrupt this podcast to bring you a commercial for ourselves. Just a reminder that we have an upcoming show in the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and tickets are still available. Amazing. It is going to be a miracle if we pull this off because some life events have been happening and they're 
It's fucked and <laughs> essentially I have to rewrite my show. So it's cool. Quite, it's quite possible it might just be Bianca on the stage, but we'll see how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. But come and get tickets because if Annie's on stage, it's going to be a short dumpster fire. <laughs> I hate you so much. I love you. Tickets are available at anniebianca.com.au. Uh, yeah, we've got an AU. We've got an AU. Um, yeah, look, we're going to – this ad is just getting worse and worse because it started off as, ha-ha, you know, Annie's really nervous about it. She's being kept up and at night. she's having a panic attack. And now the fear. It's really good when your life starts getting really chaotic mm. because I'm caring less yeah, about the show. it distracts you. Actually, that's not a good endorsement of the show. It's going to be great. Come. We're so excited. Come along. <laughs> Melbourne International Comedy Festival. Tickets available now. Uh, Naomi, Australian sexologist, thank you so much for coming back. Thank you for having me again. So I'm going to go straight into yep. it. How mm-hmm. does alcohol affect <laughs> her ability to, I don't know, like calm, get aroused? Because mm. I feel like you What's get aroused. What's going on down there? Lots of people lose their inhibitions when yeah. they drink. Yeah. There's two sort of things we hear. We hear people are able to have sex and enjoy it more. And then you hear all the other stuff, which is it actually impacts their erection. So they can't get an erection or they absolutely cannot orgasm. And that also the other thing that we talk lots about is that people do things that they wouldn't do sober. So they have regrets. Yes, I must say I (laughs) – first of all, I don't know why I would always have sex drunk because I know I can't orgasm. Like I'm so close but I can just never get there ever. So I don't know why I would bother. But also I would not have had sex with half the people I have. I mean the amount of people that I've had sex with is a high number I think. But I don't remember half of them. Yep. I could pass them in the street and not know them. Yep. I've gone mm-hmm. back to people's houses. Yep. No idea. I don't know also, their names. <laughs> also for me personally, I think that I've said no to contraception a few mm. times. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot. And I think even just in the pursuit of pleasure, whether alcohol is involved or not, people just get so caught up that they go, I'm just going to do this and I'll be fine. I won't get an STI, I won't get pregnant or whatever. But yeah, we know that alcohol is the same thing. And you can think about it in other ways as well, because people take risks, they'll run red lights. I hear people saying they went to the staff work party and they jump off the table naked, stuff they would not do sober. I know I definitely am not into anal sex, but got drunk and was like, let's give it a go. Mm. And probably I, not the best time to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I regret it so much because I was like, yeah. And and then I'm like, it's put me off doing that ever again. Aww, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. then it's kind of and I went into the next point that I wanted to talk about. Like for me personally, sex has never been something I've really been comfortable with. Mm. I don't think. And getting drunk was sort of an easy way for me to be like, well, at least I can have sex, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I have not had sober sex with that many people in my Mm. life because I am very shy. Mm -hmm. And so it was only when I was drunk that I would be willing to do things I wouldn't normally do in bed. So like, Mm. you know, I'd have a few wines and then, yeah, I'll give you head, right? Whereas like normally I wouldn't do it. Or even Mm -hmm. making out with someone would be make me nervous because I'm sober, but when I'm drunk, it doesn't matter. I can do Mm. anything. I'm very free. I'm in a bit Mm. like I've got no inhibitions. I can do whatever. Yeah. When I went sober, it was actually really uncomfortable and I realized 
I have to have sex sober. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I had to have a really frank conversation with my husband and actually talk to him about sex because I'd never done it. I would always just sort of be like, I'll wait till I'm drunk to fuck him, oh, you know. Yeah, yeah. We had no sex life really that you could call a good sex life. Like it was there, but it was like he could really only have sex with me if I'm drunk because that's mm. the only time that I'd be mm. up for it because that's yeah. the only time that I can be free enough to want to mm. have sex with him. And we had to have this discussion and relearn how to have sex and it was really scary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think this is a very, very common story that I hear. And I think it's because of, I mean, many, many things about shame and thoughts in our head that we're doing something wrong or what we look like naked. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that go on. So this is a very common story. So then people get into the habit and, and then, as you said, which is really lovely that you've had a conversation with him about how do we do this? So because you're going to be vulnerable, mm. you haven't got that sort of the courage that alcohol sometimes gives you. Sometimes it does more than just give you courage. You know, it makes you take huge risks. But yeah, and for then, it's not going to come easy. You're going to have to learn to do this so yeah, yeah, I think, I mean, I'm lucky in the sense that I am married and have a very good relationship with my husband mm. that we can mm-hmm. sit down. And I've... Have a chat about I it. I mean, and I will say... I like sex now, which is something that I've never done before. Yeah, some people actually learn to love it more and have a totally different experience when they're yeah, sober. because I can actually enjoy it. Like I can actually come, whereas I couldn't before. But that is having sex with one person that I am lucky enough to have that relationship yeah. with. Mm. How would you go about having sober sex when you're not in a relationship and you're going out on Tinder dates? Like mm. how do you approach that? Every, again, everyone's going to be different. So if you have, uh, you know, worry about um, losing control or looking weird with your cum face or all the things <laughs> people tell me about. You know, it, it's not unusual that people get nervous when they have casual sex or one night stands uh, because you've just met someone. We, we live in a culture that's very hard not to drink and often people meet up for these one night stands or whatever. It, it happens around yeah. alcohol. So it's sort of harder to do that without thinking about the fact that there can be a it can be really rewarding to be sober and have sex yeah and it it is really rewarding I didn't know that sex could be that good (laughs) and you know how many people then have erection issues because they had sex when they were drunk and they couldn't get it up and then there was a really awkward situation or whatever and then that perpetuates this horrible cycle and they can they worry and then they just never oh they get in their head about it like oh last time over and over and over so men do have trouble getting erections when they're drunk so yes alcohol can make people feel relaxed but it can also do things to your body like usually it's very hard to have an orgasm penises don't always stand up after a while or they won't ejaculate what about vaginas Um, sometimes people talk about having a drier vagina but the orgasm is the big thing that I hear is that they literally just can't get there. Can't get there. It's Mm. like... It's close. It feels like it's close, but it never comes. Yeah. yeah. And and often if you think about, I mean, antidepressants can do that too. They're impacting your brain. And, and we know alcohol, despite it being a legal drug, it impacts your brain because our biggest sex organs are brain. So stuff's going on and yeah, you might be more relaxed, but then other things, you know, physically. That's why I always think, is it Dan Savage who he talks about, you know, you should fuck first and eat later. I think such a good idea because so many people go out on dates for dinner and drinks and they get really sleepy and they've mm. had carbs and it just, things don't work as well. Yeah. They've got, maybe they've got IBS or they're bloated and they yeah. fart, you know. <laughs> yeah. So um, all of that. So it's I kind of like, yeah. Just drinking, I find it hard to concentrate. Totally. And you were saying brain is the biggest sex organ. Like mm. I just cannot mm-hmm. keep – I just get distracted. Yeah, yeah. I'm just not there. Think about why you can't drive. Like I always think about it makes sense. Like we're not supposed to drive after a certain amount because we can't control the car properly. You know, it's the same. It's going to be the same for sex. What tips do you have then for someone – 
how to overcome the thing of I need to be drunk to have sex. Yeah. Sometimes I talk to people about trying to find how, how else do you find pleasure, like away from the sexual space about really, you know, just like being in the moment, like eating an amazing, I don't know, a mango, you know, something and taking it in or some of us like walking on the beach and putting our feet in the in the sand and savoring those moments and feeling pleasure and, mm. and like the sun on our skin or the wind or something like that. So you're learning to take these moments in so that when you you can sort of be more present sexually without the alcohol. And obviously you are going to have to take a risk. It's going to feel super uncomfortable. It's going to be a new yeah. normal for you. It's so uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah. yeah I didn't um, – I mean, what I did was I got sober at like 29. So mm-hmm. that is my entire like yeah. sexual life. Yeah. I've mm-hmm. relied on alcohol. So when I realised I have to do this sober, I realised I don't know how to have mm-hmm. sex. It was such a daunting thing to be like, oh, I actually don't know how to fuck. Like, yeah. And that's yeah. crazy because mm-hmm. I've obviously had sex sober before, but it's always been very mechanical. I've been so in my head. Yeah. I've not enjoyed it. Uh-huh. So I um, did research onto Trying how to get do out I, of your head. yeah, how do I get out of my head? Mindfulness, yeah, mindfulness, <laughs> and it's so crazy that when I did have sex with my partner after we had a really long discussion, and you know, I needed him to unpack some things that I was holding on to of mm. like, you know, oh well, I don't want you to go down on me because it's going to take too long, and he's like, well, I enjoy going down on you, yeah, see. so you know, he would say like well why don't we try this position and if you don't like it like we can always change like awesome. I'm I'm there for you mm-hmm. and we'll just go through this together or you know mm-hmm. tell me what you do like tell me what you don't like and sometimes you don't know because you're being drunk yeah exactly yeah. and then you know to actually like enjoy like I cried I fully yeah. cried the first time that we had sex like after talking about it and being sober because mm-hmm. it's actually such a connecting experience yeah. and I'd never been connected yeah they're a thing they're a thing yeah they are a thing or even God. if you don't have one but yeah people get very sad sometimes but yeah. in a good way a beautiful way yeah, yeah. And, it, and then I realized that like sex is beautiful mm. Naomi you're a sex educator as well mm-hmm. and the reality is that a lot of teenagers are drinking yeah. underage like mm-hmm. before 18 and this is at the time when also they're starting to have sex for the very first time yeah what should we be saying to these kids yeah. about alcohol and sex I think we just need to be having like frank discussions about the fact that yeah Drugs sometimes make people feel good. Alcohol makes you feel relaxed and people get nervous about having sex and it's normal actually to be anxious before a day and all of those things. Also knowing that there's reasons that we say that it's illegal to, you know, drive a car over a certain amount of time and or operating machinery. That's why we have warnings on medication because it impacts the way we think. So it's about having these discussions about, look, lots of people do it. We do things that we probably wouldn't do when we were sober. And I want to make it clear I'm not making any excuses for people who do things and claim that they were, you know, drunk and that's why they did that to that person or whatever because, you know, it's also a responsibility. But we do need to acknowledge that a lot of people do things sexually and then regret it later. And this is, again, this happens out of the... People they would have done. Totally, right? (laughs) Yeah. And it's But it happens even out of the sexual realm. But, yes, in this space, what we're talking about. So we know that alcohol does lower inhibition and people do things that they would never normally do. And I think... We need to have those conversations all in together as part of sex education. Yeah. We need to bring that in. There's no way, you know, yes, they're not supposed to be having alcohol till they're 18, but we need to have a discussion because we all know that 
young people do that, right? Yeah. So we're telling blue. kids not to do things doesn't stop them doing. Yeah. Uh-huh. It lures not, it really. Yeah. Yeah. Telling kids that no, they're not to have sex mm-hmm. isn't stopping them having sex. No, because they're, they're not allowed to drink. Is not. Yeah. yeah. And Australia, my goodness, the culture—it's a drinking culture. Like it's ridiculous. It's hard to not be a drinker. Speaking on the the lowering um, inhibitions and things like that, I do want to talk about dangerous liaisons because alcohol is so present in sexual assault cases yep. for the perpetrator as you were saying it can mm. it gets them I, don't, I hate to say this off the hook sometimes yep. because they can be like oh well you know i was drunk so mm. and they're like oh you know he was just drunk he's usually a good bloke blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. it can also make a man confused because yep. they are misinterpreting um, yep. signals they don't mm. understand consent it can also increase their likelihood of aggression mm. but then on the flip side for the victim it gets them yeah. in trouble and blurs the line of yeah. whether or not like you know well you were probably actually asking for it at the mm-hmm. time you know you probably wanted it you know how do we discuss the way that sexual assault in Australia is affected because of drinking yeah look I mean I think there's no simple answers to such a complex area I think um, we know that now the law says that you know you're not going to get consent from someone if they're on some sort of drug so I think as again it's part of that conversation about knowing that it, it just like driving the car because people are like I just thought I was okay I was under the limit and then they get caught and then people have gone to prison or they've had accidents it's the same thing mm. you need to be have a converse, have a conversation about that we want them to be thoughtful about sex and saying if you're going to engage in behavior with other people sexually and you're drinking or taking drugs there's could be this consequence that someone could say that they didn't consent and around alcohol it's super super tricky yeah and that's why it's only ta- it's taken a while for them to even put that in it's part of yeah because I saw that you posted something saying that a drunk person can't give consent so that wasn't even around as part of our law for a while so full stop a drunk person cannot consent no is that the law law now yeah really Mm -hmm. yeah yeah you've got to have this sort of someone needs to be able to give clear consent so there's a lot of stuff around whether they're intellectually able to do that or also yeah yeah, they're on drugs and so that when I would do sex ed we would bring that up and that's something you have to think about I suppose it's about that risk-taking thing in lots of ways and people get it frightened because it's around sex but it's also you know we know that you know people smoke cigarettes and we know that cigarettes there's a huge health risk to that you know and so we need to talk about alcohol and sex because absolutely this is what happens and again there's sexual assault there's also just a whole bunch of regret oh my god people just going i cannot believe i slept with that person why did i do that sort of trying to prepare yourself i suppose to think about if you're going to have some alcohol this might happen you you're you are going to be impacted yeah and i think as well i mean i would get drunk and just think that my worth was between my legs Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. spread them for anyone in in that case Mm -hmm. and then be sober and be like i would never do that why I have way more respect for myself than that but for yeah. some reason yeah. drunk Bianca would yeah. just it, I the amount of beds I have woken up in yeah and uh whatever like you know it's sex is sex it's mm-hmm. not that bad of a, a thing but I mean for some people it can really damage them like yeah. we need to like tell people to be more yeah. wary I guess of, yeah just to talk about what alcohol does to our body and our and our mind so like in and it, as well I guess in sexual relationships people often cheat on one another and then it's like, oh, well, I was drunk. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> oh, we could do a whole podcast on that. People cheat 
good people cheat, all right? That's mm. one thing we need. It's not all bad people that do that. Good yeah. people cheat for a bunch of different reasons and maybe they were already, something was going on for them and the alcohol just, again, it's the inhibition mm. things, making decisions that you wouldn't normally make. Yeah. You know, it's like also risk. We take risk and we tend to judge people when it's sexual stuff. Like I often do this sort of questionnaire thing with people in sessions about, um, like when I'm doing education about, you know, oh, have you ever like looked at your packet of uh, medication that says, you know, take the whole lot and finish your antibiotics, whatever. And people, and I'll say, put your hand up if you haven't. And they'll go, yeah, sometimes I forget. Or have you ever grabbed the yogurt out of the fridge and just gone, well, a bit iffy, sniffs, I'll do the yeah. sniff test, you know, or have you ever signed away something and said, I'm going to jump out of this plane, but you may you know, break your leg or whatever. And it's like kind of, oh, yeah, people take risks. But when it comes to sexual stuff, we often get quite judgmental around that stuff. We are humans and, we, you know, we have sexual feelings and the alcohol impacts us as well and makes us take risks. We just often have a lot more judgment and shame around in that space. With sexual health as well, like Mm. the risk of not using protection. Protection, I mean, I can't, I've literally, Mm -hmm. I'm so shocked I don't have, I've never had an STI because I have just for years didn't bother because. Mm -hmm. And then it's because it didn't happen. So it's sometimes like a reward system. People will say, oh, I ran that red light. I'll do it one more time because nothing happened. Or, oh, I left my window open or I left the back door open. No Mm. one broke in. So I'll do it again. The same thing sometimes around sexual stuff. You're like, I did it this time. I didn't get pregnant or I didn't get an STI. I'm going to do it again. It won't happen again. That sort of stuff happens as well. It's like, okay, I'll take another risk. The reality is that this podcast is not going to stop people from drinking. Still, um, what would you like to say to the people that do drink, particularly Mm. probably the people that go out bars or nightclubs or places like Mm. that and are looking to hook up? Yeah. What would you like to say to them? Simple things like telling your friends, don't let me go home Yeah, that. That's Yeah. That help totally. Always I, carrying condoms, like making it part of your responsibilities. Oh, absolutely, oh. and it should be. Yeah, that's that yeah. thing. And I know there's all this whole. That's a whole another conversation about slut shaming and, and women who have sex with people with penises who carry condoms. Think, oh, I shouldn't do that because it looks, you know, that that's all what? Whole presumptuous. Presumptuous. Oh. so that's a whole another thing about slut shaming. Bring your condoms, bring your lube or whatever, but also know that, you know, if you have sex, you may not have an orgasm because that's what alcohol does to your body. Yeah. And the people you have sex with, if they've got penises, their penises not might not stand up. Not to shame them for that. And yeah. also, if you've been at a club for like 20 hours... <laughs> Have a you're shower. gonna yeah have a shower. <laughs> <laughs> like don't be putting that in your mouth. Is my oh my suggestion. god that is such a good point. Have a shower. I have leaked the most you disgusting pair of balls oh. after a night. Like, it was fucked. <laughs> I'm so ashamed. Oh. I am honestly. I can the I can taste it in my mouth. This is my like, point. I'm See, you wouldn't do that sober. It's like no. yeah. Try, can you work out when you're drunk to find a shower? <laughs> yeah. Oh god. It actually oh, like oh. Yeah, yeah. Make sure you have a shower. Yeah, it's all shower. Yeah. And if you can't, because you're not in a state where you can stand up in the shower maybe save the sex for another time this episode was written produced and edited by me wanton sex goddess with a very bad man between her thighs bianca thompson and my best friend annie nolan music by pleasant pictures music Uh, big thanks to our returning guest naomi hutchings 
Naomi is a clinical sexologist located in Brisbane who you can actually book a consult with for sex therapy. If you're not already following her on Instagram, then oh no, baby, what is you doing? Check her out on the gram at Australian Sexologist and check out her website, www.naomihutchings.com.au. If you need confidential information, counselling and support on sexual assault, domestic or family violence or abuse, you can phone 1-800-RESPECT from anywhere in Australia. That is 1-800-737-732. Thanks for listening.